Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Everybody, hey, what's up? Where have you been? We've been waiting for you. Oh, that's right, y'all been waiting for us. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's the other way around. Right, that's right. We we'll missed you guys, and also thank you for listening. If you found us for the first time, welcome. Um, if you are returning, then thank you. Welcome back. Yeah, and let's just remind everybody to uh, find us. Uh, at Podbean, southerndiscomfort.podbean.com, and email is southerndiscomfortpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we social channels are Twitter at so disco PC, Facebook at southern discomfort PC, and Instagram southern discomfort PC. And on YouTube, Southern Discomfort Podcast. Be sure to like, share, hit the bell. And um, yeah, so just want to mention quickly, if you like what you hear, please feel free to leave us five stars. And even if you don't like what you're hearing <laughs> and you want to give us less than five stars, that's welcome too. Just one qu- request. If you're gonna leave us less than five, tell us why. We wanna we wanna get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean if you just leave one star and you don't leave anything, then we can't do anything with that. But you know, if you just like your voices, your accents suck, something we can't really help because we were born this way, you know. Anyway. Yeah, if it's something that we can approve on, we yeah. want to. Absolutely. So, so what is the drink du jour? Oh, oh, what we have on tap is Cherry Lane. It is from Chandelier Island Brewing Company. It's a, uh, it's actually a black cherry sour ale. It's from their Gulf Sour series. Um, it's the last episode. If you listen to that one, um, we I we had one of their other Gulf Sour on um, tap but tonight it's actually cherry lane and it's 5.4 abvs and this one is it's very subtle but it does have that black cherry taste to it um if you like ipas you'll like this one if um you don't then you probably won't but (laughs) it's um it's a it's a soured ale and like like I said, it has that hint of black cherry, and it has just the right amount of sweetness. So check them out. And as per the use, it has neat artwork. Right. So we'll have to post that. Definitely. And I love anything black cherry, so this was definitely caught my eye. I said, oh, I know we did one last week, but or not last week, but last time. So I said, I'm getting this one again. So anyway. Cool, cool. Yeah, so tonight we're going to do something a little different. We're going to um, do something that we haven't done before, a little fun one, kind of, sort of, but I think overall, yes. Yeah, this one's fun. Yeah, so let's start off with 1973, and that was a stellar year, if I do say so myself. 
Um, mm. I won't get into why <laughs> I personally Leave that think to the imagination that I personally think is great, but um, several, well, actually many notable things happened. Um, Elvis Presley's Aloha in Hawaii came out. Secretariat won the Triple Crown. That's the Kentucky Derby, Belmont Stakes, and the Preakness Stakes. I'm sure by now everybody's seen that wonderful movie and that great story. Skylab was the first U.S. space station launched with our cousin, Alan Bean. And the Watergate scandal. Old cousin Alan. Right. Right. The troops were um, sent home for the beginning of that from Vietnam. Um, I was born. And Pink Floyd released the dark side of the moon. Amazing. It's a favorite. I like how you slid that. Right, right. I did just kind of throw that in there. Um, 1973 was the most investigated UFO flap, which that means that there's an increase in UFO activity. And in a sleepy little Pascagoula, Mississippi town, something happened that is still talked about today. Calvin Parker and Charles Charlie Hickson not only saw a UFO, but were abducted and taken aboard this UFO. So, all right, that's what we're talking about tonight, which is um, which is why I did a little throwback to the Chandelier Island Brewing out of Gulfport, Mississippi. I don't think I said that earlier, but um, let's take it back. Let's take this back, though, to 1964. I'm going to change gears a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about Project Dribble, okay? I never knew what this was. Not that I would, because definitely this was before my time and yours. But even, never even heard about it, being from Mississippi. But in 1964, they did nuclear testing. Um, October 22nd, 1964, a five kiloton nuclear device was detonated in Lamar County, Mississippi. And that's the, that's Laurel, Mississippi area. The U.S. and other major countries signed a treaty to prohibit nuclear testing in the atmosphere, but not underground. Project Dribble was to study how underground nuclear tests could be detected or hidden. 28 miles southwest of Hattiesburg, Mississippi, in the Tatum Salt Dome, this is a massive salt deposit, 1,000 feet below the ground. So, and Project Dribble was called for two detonations. So the first one was called Project Salmon, and it was an explosion 2,700 feet down in solid salt. Then they had the second detonation, which was called Project Sterling, and then this used a smaller bomb in the cavity that was left behind by the first explosion. So, um, like I said, on October 22nd, 1964, 400 residents were evacuated from this area, and the adults were paid $10, and the kids were paid 5 <gasps> Right? <laughs> so, thanks. <laughs> wow. At 10 a.m., Project Salmon detonated with approximately one-third the, of the power of the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. The earth rose, it rolled in waves, pecans fell from the trees, the dogs howled in fear, the creeks ran black with disturbed sediment, and buildings 30 miles away swayed for minutes on end. Within a week, hundreds of residents had um, filed damage claims with the government, citing burst pipes, cracked masonry, and suddenly dry wells. Um, the test was a success, however, 
that's what they deemed it as. The blast vaporized the spherical void in the salt 110 feet in diameter. And so when sensors were lowered into the cavity more than three months later, the temperature still measured over 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> That's so Heat hot. Heat is hot. It's hot, yes. Heat, fire, all that stuff. Nuclear bombs, hot. <laughs> so two years after Project Salmon, the second part of the test, Project Sterling, was carried out. But this, like I said, was a much smaller bomb. It was equal to 350 tons of TNT. Versus the first bombs of 5,000 tons. And this was detonated in the cavity. And as the scientists hypothesized, the cavity absorbed nearly all the blast seismic force. So people in the surface, the surface barely felt a bump. This was the only nuclear detonations to ever occur in the eastern United States. So why am I talking about nuclear testing in Mississippi in 1964? Um, there have been so many UFO sightings reported near nuclear facilities. The nuclear facilities, Los Alamos, Livermore, Sandia, Savannah River, they've all had dramatic incidents where UAPs were sighted or unidentified aerial phenomenon. In 1948, green fireballs were reported in the skies near atomic laboratories in Los Alamos and Sandia, New Mexico, where the atomic bomb was first developed and tested. In 1950, flying saucers sighted near the Los Alamos labs. This was the atomic site where the A-bombs were detonated in the post-World War II years. So in the 60s and 70s, repeated UFO sightings were reported at Maelstrom Air Force Base in Montana. And this is where they store the ICBMs. Um, and in 1967, former Air Force Captain Robert Salas reported several of the missiles had become inoperative at the same time. Um, base security reported seeing glowing red objects hovering over the facilities, and they were unlaunchable. So back to 1973. In 1973, Pascagoula had a population of 27,000 people, and it's a Native American word for bread eater. So it's located at the mouth of the Pascagoula River and the Mississippi Gulf Coast. It was a sleepy fishing village before World War II. But um, it, today it has Northrop Grumman has a presence there, Chevron Refinery, Ingalls Shipyard. It's home to the first self-righteous church. <laughs> Just and it is still sleepy. <laughs> right. Yes. So, um, it's also home to Mississippi's Phantom Barber, in case you didn't know. Um that's a bar a phantom barber who would cut women's hair in the middle of the night in 1942 stop it just stop <laughs> like right there right. no is yeah. it really yeah it is yeah that's in in the 40s in, okay. in 1942 okay. there was a problem with oh my god there's a <laughs> with people coming in and cutting women's hair and they wake up and be like who cut my hair like what the hell but it's like, how does somebody cut you? Well, I guess you could. I guess how you could does be... that become a problem? <laughs> right. They, but they weren't giving them, like, cool haircuts from what I read. It was just, like, snip, snip, they, snip off, like, blocks of hair. And they don't even get a cool haircut. No, they don't. It's just, like, locks, just swaths of hair, like, missing. Like, all chopped off, yeah. 
right, right. Um, October 11th, 1973, Calvin Parker of Laurel, Mississippi, he was 19, and um, Charles, Charlie Hickson was 42 at the time, and they were family friends. Um, They also worked together at Walker Shipyard. And on this evening, they were fishing together on the Pascagoula River. I love how my Mississippi accent comes out when I'm talking about Mississippi. (laughs) I digress, though. Um, they found a spot originally, but they weren't having any luck there. So they decided to go over to a spot where there was a grain elevator. And, um, so the thought behind that was there'd be plenty of fish there because they would eat the grain that fell from this grain elevator. Um, had that, about that time they saw, they both saw blue lights in the distance, um, because Calvin originally thought that. It was the police, like, they had pulled up to their car, and they were going to come find them and tell them that they had to leave. Well, because this is posted. Well, in other words, it's... Yeah, it's, it wasn't... It sounds like it wasn't an area that everybody would go... It was kind of like a little hidden fishing hole that he that Charles knew about. And it was uh, no trespassing. I guess yeah. I should translate posted. Right, right. So, um, the lights actually came toward them, and they made a hissing sound, like a machine is how they described it. And the next thing they knew, three gray wrinkly beings hovered over to them, like, more like glided, they said. So, Calvin and Charles both described them as being five foot tall, pale beings with no detectable eyes, a slit for a mouth, although they didn't speak or move their mouth, um. It didn't look like they were wearing any clothes, um, but could have been wearing, like, some skin-tight clothing, possibly. They had two ear-like structures on each side of the head, which is why they thought they were ears, but they said they didn't look like ears. They didn't have a neck, just a head on the shoulders, which I I figure out what that might look weird. I mean, all this probably does look strange, for sure. Well, and there's drawings. If you look at the drawings, yeah, it makes more sense. It's worth a Google. Yeah, so Google that. So they didn't um, have the neck, like I said, it just sat on their shoulders, but they had elephant-like feet that glided, which I thought that was pretty interesting. Because I, I can't imagine elephant feet gliding, but, you know, okay, uh, I'm with it. I like, I'm going with it. I'm going. In my mind, I'm going with it. So they had arms and pincher-like hands, kind of like they said, like a crab, like or lobster, I guess, lobster. So two of them grabbed Charles and glided him to the UFO. They had two ear-like structures on each side of the head. They thought these that they were ears, but they didn't look like ears. But they thought they were ears because they were one on each side, like we have, we being humans. Yeah, I guess everybody knows that. So, they didn't have a neck. It was just a head on the shoulders. And they had elephant-like feet that just glided. Which is weird. But, okay. I'm with it. They had arms and they had pincher-like hands like crabs or lobsters. And two of them grabbed Charles and they glided him into the UFO. And Calvin just passed out. Which I probably would have too. For sure. So when Charles was in the UFO, he said he was he was stuck, like he couldn't move, but he couldn't see what was actually holding him in place and keeping him stuck. 
and the beings moved around him inspecting him and he described a thing that came out of the wall and it looked like an eye and this eye like scanned him scanned his body um he tried to speak but he only heard buzzing sounds from two of them like robots and they left the room and they left him in there by himself for like 20 or 30 minutes and the other one came in and didn't speak to him but he understood it was letting him know that everything was okay and it that they meant him no harm like telepathy but he didn't actually describe it using the word telepathy they put him back and back they like out of the UFO like, however they got them out of the UFO and put them back where they were um and Charles remembers Calvin standing there with his arms outstretched. And he said that, later he said that he was standing there with his arms outstretched like he was frozen. Like he couldn't move. And the craft left as quick as it had come up to them. And they were so frightened. They were just like, what just happened? Um, they went back and forth after this. Like what they, sh- like what should we do? Like what, this is what they were like talking about to each other like should we tell somebody and they're like yeah let's and then they're like no let's don't but finally what they decided um to is to uh, call keesler and keesler air force base which is the air force base in biloxi and it's one of the largest technical training wing um and so just something that i thought was pretty cool to find out the tuskegee airmen were trained there that's 7,000 African-American airmen in 1943. Um, so Keesler told them that they didn't investigate UFOs anymore since Project Blue Book closed in 1969. But they did advise them to call the local law enforcement. So they did. They called the local sheriff's department. And so the police officers came to them while they were in the car, and they got a statement, and they got took their report. And then they did um, Charles... And Calvin did end up going to the police station, and this is where Sheriff Fred Diamond questioned them, and they um, they were questioned about three different times that same night, and they were questioned separately, and then they decided to put them together in the same room, and secretly they recorded them with um, a recorder, as you do. That's usually how it's done. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so... They and, and the reason why that they did this was because they thought they were full of shit. And they thought that if they put them together and they were recording them, they were going to have them say, like when they the police walked out, they thought they would say, oh, yeah, we really fooled them. Yeah, and they, well, they also thought that they were inebriated. Yes. And put them through field sobriety. That's right. They did do that, and they... Both said they didn't have not even they didn't even drink Coca Cola that that particular day. They didn't have anything to drink until they this happened. Like this is before the abduction. Now after the abductions, they the abduction they did have several stiff drinks. I, I read, and I mean I can imagine I would probably blow through a fifth right after that happened to me. I'd just be like. What just happened? I would might be sad because I would probably be like, "Can I drive? Can I drive the UFO? I just want to fly the UFO." Like I lay down at night and I try to astral project just so I can fly a UFO, kind of. But <laughs> so in 
So they told Sheriff Diamond to please not tell anybody, um, especially the news. They just wanted to just go back to their life, their work, their everything. So the next day they did, they went they went back to work. But the news reporters were call, calling them. They were crawling the place. Um, and then they knew, well, somebody, somebody dropped a dime, right? Somebody told what was going on and that it probably was Sheriff Fred Diamond. Or their staff. They alerted the media. But um, they couldn't get rid of them. They even had to, the Walker shipyard where they worked, had to hire an attorney to handle all the reporters who were, like, coming at them for interviews for anybody who would talk to them related to this. And once during a press conference, Sheriff Fred Diamond said that he would take it all the way to the president because the people down here, I mean, in Mississippi, were entitled to know what was going on. And I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, that's true. You know, because you're, like, way down south in Mississippi, like, who cares? You know, (laughs) nobody cares about you guys down there. But um, Calvin didn't want any attention. Like, he was engaged to get married just a few short months later. And he didn't want to scare his in-laws because his fiance was 16 at the time and needed their permission to get married and he didn't want them to think that he was some like crazy cuckoo guy that they couldn't trust their daughter to marry so he just wanted to lay low and and, you know be cool so um they were but but like I said these reporters and media was everywhere they were all over the place and they were constantly seeking these interviews so they um wondered if they were infected or radioactive because they got to I think it was Calvin he started thinking and out loud and expressed his concern he's like what if we are radioactive or if we are infected by anything bacterial or or the like and we have passed that on to our loved ones so the next step was well we need a medical exam so they went to the singing rivers hospital and they were checked out there, and everything was fine there. But they couldn't test for radioactivity at the hospital, so they referred them back to Keesler. So the hospital arranged for Calvin and Charles to be tested at Keesler Air Force Base for radiation. And about seven to eight people in white hazmat-type suits, um, they were covered. Basically, their clothes were covered. And they met them outside, and they conducted a test where they actually tested negative for radiation, so they weren't radioactive. So that was good. And they were interviewed at Keesler, and within 36 hours of the abduction, J. Allen Hynek and Dr. Harder arrived to question them. J. Allen Hynek was an astronomer and leading ufologist from the University of Chicago, and they both underwent hypnosis with him. Um, and J. Allen Hynek, it's um, interesting to note that he coined the term close encounters. Uh, the descriptions that I mentioned earlier about these beings, this is what was uncovered when Charles Hickson was actually um, under hypnosis with these sessions that Hynek conducted. And Calvin Parker said he couldn't remember what happened while he was on the ship. But it is also important to note that they both took and passed lie detector tests. And their stories never changed, never wavered. Um, There were also other witnesses 
So on the evening of October 11th, 1973, Larry Booth, a Pascagoula man who operated the Standard Service Station on US-90, he was a World War II Air Corps veteran. He reported seeing an object through a door to window, and this was about five to eight feet above the streetlights. It stood still, and it was completely silent with many other flashing red lights. Um, no wings, just a large object. So as it moved away, he could see fewer and fewer lights. He said it couldn't be a helicopter or a plane because um, they would stop. Like they, a helicopter or a plane couldn't stand still. It would, This thing um, was completely still. And then um, it flew away. Also, 15 people, including two policemen, reported that they saw a large silver color object that flew slowly over a housing project in St. Tammany Parish. Shut the front door. <laughs> no, I'm serious, yeah. So you're neck of the woods. Philip Mantle received a report of a UFO sighting that happened October 10th. So this is the day before the Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker sighting. His name was Evan. He reached out to Philip Mantle after listening to an interview that he was on Open Minds Radio in 2017. So Evan explained that when he was 12 years old, when this the Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson encounter happened, he lived in Stone County, which is the Wiggins area. This is uh, just north of Gulfport. So an hour before their encounter, he said a UFO floated over their farm, and his family watched it until it shrank into a red dot and shot away. They saw it return for weeks after this happened, but it was never as close as it was that first night, and it was always before 8 p.m. Mike kind of died. I mean, <laughs> they can't stay out past 8. No, they have to go home. They have to, <laughs> have to zoom. That's what they do. They're like, zzz, gone. Mike Cadano, he was a retired Navy officer with the two others, or with two others, Ted Peralta and Mac Hanna. They were in Ted's Volkswagen going to Biloxi, Mississippi, just before dusk. And they saw an object that they thought was a shooting star, but it came down um, to the tree-lined marshy area and hovered there for 30 seconds. It had blinking lights on top of it and also blinking lights around the edge. It was a whitish-gray shape. They described like a tambourine, which I thought was pretty interesting because there are a lot of circular things out there, but they described it as a tambourine. Um, came within a half a mile from them, and it was as large as an airliner. And just then, it shot away from them. And so he left Ted and Mac. And while he was headed to Ocean Springs, Mississippi, he saw it again for a second time, about the same distance away. This was also the same night. This was October eleventh, nineteen seventy-three. Um, so Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson, they both went on to write books about the encounter and did many interviews. So many you can find on YouTube today. Calvin Parker's book is. Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, and Charles Hickson's book is UFO Contact at Pascagoula. Hickson died in 2011 when he was 80 years old. And regardless of what you believe about this story, it has made an indelible mark in Mississippi history. Yeah, it has. And, you know, in more ways than one. Like, so I'm dying to know, can we please talk about how after this in one of the neighboring towns, uh, which is Ocean Springs, um, they actually 
uh, passed a law that is still on the books uh, that and it uh, prohibits uh, uh, UFOs from landing in their town. That's real. That's a real thing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, I'm not kidding. Yes. Who are they gonna? Who are they going to enforce this on? Like how? And what is the penalty? I, I don't know. Um, Excuse me, alien. <laughs> you're they, breaking the law. There is a law on the books that you cannot park your spacecraft in ocean, or you can't land your space. Oh, you can't land it. You can fly it all day long because they can't. Like, how are they gonna? <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't land that here. This is a no UFO landing zone. And then also, interesting tidbit, can we talk about how alien hunting became a thing amongst the uh, townspeople? Like, they literally would gather and, you know, like, you go deer hunting or turkey hunting. They were like, hey, we're going alien hunting. You want to come? Yeah, I knew they did that in Canada, but okay, I can see that because they hunt everything down here. So, of course, why wouldn't they hunt aliens, UFOs, that kind of thing? And it was so prevalent, like I said, in 1973 in that flap. Yes, I can see that. That's crazy. And so, I know you mentioned uh, about Calvin, how he... uh, experienced some well fainting um and also uh, maybe some lost time but there was a subsequent subsequent event in 1993 where uh he calvin goes fishing at cat island which i don't know i think he said it was like six miles away from um the spot where the first incident occurred. So this is 20 years later, he goes fishing and um, he goes home, tells his wife, I guess it was after work or whatever. I don't know. He may have been retired, whatever. He says, I'm going fishing, pack me a lunch, but don't pack anything too heavy because I'm not going to be gone long. So he leaves out, goes fishing and, um, Whenever he goes out, it's like, I think, evening time, maybe like, I don't know, six, seven o'clock in the evening. And then um, he experiences this uh, loss of time. And it's like wee hours of the morning, like I want to say like 2, 3 a.m. where he comes to and he's covered in blood um, and unexplained, obviously, reasons unexplained, he's covered in blood. He goes home and gets accused by his wife of laying out all night. Mm. But then he recounts a- another uh, experience where he's he's taken back up. Oh, okay. And he thinks that the blood... Now, this came from him. Like, this came from his storytelling. You know, he... He believes that it's it's when he got taken back up in 93 is when they retrieved that tracking device because they did the same procedure where they went in through the mouth. And um, he thinks that when it came out is, is the reason for all the blood. Mm, yeah. 
But I got to tell you, okay, so I, I listened to his talk that he gave at this convention. I, I, the name is escaping me right now. I listened to that, and then I also listened to another televised um, interview from him. And I just have to say, like, the, he he says, you know, I'm not a smart guy you know i'm not a smart man he's really funny like when he tells the story he's he's really funny but um he's also uh very intelligent like the way he tells the story and there are just things about the way that he tells it that are super super compelling and believable like um you know you even mentioned this when this happened, he was 18 years old. He was engaged to be married. And he said the only things that he wanted in life were to get married, have a family, retire, and fish. That's all he wanted mm -hmm. to do. He didn't want all of this media attention mm -hmm. and to be the be the a spectacle. And 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 I really truly believe that when you you know, when you listen to him, at least for me, I really truly believe that he never ever wanted um the attention he didn't want to profit from it and he didn't even want to write the book yeah um but he was persuaded by his wife um and and someone else i I'm, i can't remember who it was but he was persuaded by her to write the book uh just to have the opportunity to tell his story so i do think that uh, now i have not full disclosure i haven't read the book but i do plan to and that's our story for tonight. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, and have a good one. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to hit the button. It's going to do its thing. We're going to come in and, hey, everybody, la, la, la. And then then we do socials, then drink to shore. Yeah, we uh greeting socials, and then I... Flip it back to you for drink du jour. Then get into it. Okay. All right. Let's do it. When do we get to sing <laughs> Ray Stevens? The day the squirrel went berserk. In the first self-righteous church. Just church. Little town of Pascagoula. Pascagoula. It was a fight for revival. That broke no, that broke out in revival. There you go. They were jumping pews and shouting, Hallelujah. You get to say that. <laughs> I I guess I am. I already did. We 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 cording. We're cording. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That's going on the blooper. No. Shit. Huh? Who's that? That's from uh, the Freecharama, yeah. <laughs> I gotta go pee. Me too. Okay. Sorry, I stopped off in the kitchen to make a drink. Oh no, totally no, cool. We're supposed to be fucking drinking water. <laughs> I am. I hate it's water with other stuff. I wish y'all were going to be in studio. We're making sugar-free jello shots out of syringes. Out of syringes? Well, we're going to put them in the syringes. We're making shots out of syringes. Y'all extra. Yeah, they're going to be the wacky vac. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah.
What's wrong with that? I don't understand. What do you mean? Are you like we can't say we can't say COVID sh- vaccine? Why? Because you YouTube will take you down. <laughs> so, that is so we had to so come. much for freedom of speech. Well, oh yeah. my god, <laughs> really. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Fucking ban the president. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, I personally banned him. You wasn't upset about it, were you? No! Exactly. Freedom of speech! <laughs> well, unless you're stupid. Uh, unfortunately, no, because then you wouldn't have freedom of speech. <laughs> You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit Southern Discomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort. Signing off.